Welcome to the Divorce Survival Guide podcast, where we have open and honest conversations about co-parenting, separation, divorce, and the hardest question of all, should you stay or should you go? I'm Kate Anthony, your Divorce Survival Guide, and I'm here to help you navigate some of the roughest waters you've ever swum in and answer some of your toughest questions. I've been to hell and back, and now it's my mission in life to help you get to the other side of this process with your sanity and your heart intact. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Divorce Survival Guide podcast. I have a super, super exciting and fun episode today. Uh, My dear friend, Susan Guthrie of the Divorce and Beyond podcast is here today to talk about support. We're talking about child support and spousal support, but what's really fun is that we are doing a crossover episode. So my episode, this is part one, and then part two is over on Susan's podcast, Divorce and Beyond. Listen to this one first, and then in order to find out more, you need to go on over to Susan's podcast and listen to part two. So Susan Guthrie is nationally recognized as one of the top family law and mediation attorneys in the United States. And she has been helping individuals and families navigate separation and divorce for over 30 years. Susan provides exclusively online divorce mediation and legal coaching services to select clients around the world through her business, Divorce in a Better Way. Susan has also recently partnered with mediation legend. When we say legend, we mean the founder of the process as we know it, Forrest Woody Mostyn, to create the Mostyn Guthrie Academy to provide cutting-edge gold standard trainings for attorneys, mediators, and other professionals. As a leading dispute resolution professional, Susan is honored to serve on the Executive Council of the American Bar Association's Section of Dispute Resolution as the membership officer and to be a co-chair of the Mediation Committee and Annual Advanced Mediation Skills Institute. (laughs) I could go on and on. You're going to have to read more about Susan in the show notes because there is just so much. Susan is also an award-winning podcast host. Having reached a podcast listening audience of almost 4 million in the past two years, Susan is the creator and host of the hit podcast, The Divorce and Beyond Podcast with Susan Guthrie, which debuted on iTunes' top podcast for self-help list. She recently launched the Learn to Mediate online podcast with Susan Guthrie Esquire to bring current information, updates, and news Uh, to her thousands of followers. So again, there is more. If you want to read more about Susan, go to the show notes because she is a powerhouse. And I am so fortunate to partner with Susan in many ways. I think, honestly, the most, I'm most fortunate that she is my friend. And I am extremely fortunate also that she is my colleague. And so without further ado, here is part one on everything you need to know about support. Susan Guthrie, thank you so much for coming on to talk about uh, support, all the supports. 
Yes. There are a lot of different supports, aren't there? <laughs> All the supports. I have someone coming to help me build my deck and he's putting in some joists today. That's another kind of support I've learned, but we're not talking about that kind of support. We're talking about spousal support, really spousal support, also child support, spousal and child. Yeah. They play together or they come into the mix together. So I always think if there are minor children, there's going to be a child support element. So always good to talk about both. A lot of people think that I'm going to divorce them and I get, I'm going to get alimony. So I'll be fine. What's the truth? (laughs) That's by the way, by the way, Uh, that's what I thought. (laughs) Whoopsie. It is. Yes, it's a common thought, but it's an interesting thing because it depends on um, your situation. But I would say that unless you are ultra high net worth individuals and ultra high net worth individuals, alimony, spousal support, child support, whatever kind of support we're talking about, it is never going to be as much money as you need or you think you should be getting. And the reality of any type of support payment is that when you take the income that was going into one household and you now try to divide it among two households, the math doesn't work. So that's just reality. And it's the hardest. I will tell you, alimony is the state that I originally practiced in is Connecticut and they called it alimony there. And it's such an antiquated word, but it's also like the word that strikes fear in people's hearts. It's, I call it the scariest word. And it it is scary for both sides because frankly, if you have to pay it, think about that. There's no one who's like ever run into my office as an attorney and said, I got my checkbook out. When do I get to write that first alimony check? Come on, let's go. But there's also on the part of the person who's receiving it, it's, <laughs> am I going to get enough? Am I going to have enough to continue to live my life? And so it's a scary, it's probably the most complicated and difficult topic in any divorce. Yes. And, and the laws recently changed, right? Making it, I think, even more complicated because it used to be a write-off. It used to be considered income. So it was tax deductible to the payer and it was taxed by the recipient or for for the recipient. And recently they eliminated that. So now it makes it even more because for someone to have an an additional deduction may not, may have been okay, may have made it more palatable. The Biden administration or whoever going forward actually rewrites the tax code again. (laughs) Yeah, it may, it did make it more palatable. It was a huge part of the discussion that we would have when we were trying to determine what the alimony or support amount was going to be. Because what people don't understand about that tax issue is that what you, the first thing that determines whether or not you're going to have alimony is usually a look at the fact, do you have one spouse that's substantially out earning the other spouse, right? If you have two people who are earning about the same amount of money, you may not be in an alimony or support situation, spousal support situation. So when you have, yeah, you, you probably won't in the world we live in today, but when you have disparate incomes, that's our nice little legal term for it. That's usually the first indicator that we're going to be looking at alimony for some period of time and in some amount. And when you had someone, let's just use an example, someone who's earning $100,000 a year and a stay-at-home parent, so essentially their income zero. So when you were had the ability to say, okay, $100,000 a year earner is going to pay 
$35,000 a year, I'm making a number up, to $35,000 a year in alimony to the non-working former spouse, then they would then take that 35,000 off the top of their taxes and pay taxes as if they had only earned $65,000. And the person who got the $35,000 in support would pay taxes as if they were a $35,000 earner. So what you were doing was reducing the tax burden on the entire family which then resulted in more money being available in both households. People didn't realize it was a benefit to both sides. And what the tax change did with the Trump tax law that went into effect a couple of years ago is it took away the deductibility of alimony by the payor and made it a non-taxable event for the recipient. What that really did, everyone understand this, is put more money into the government's pocket as taxes. It did nothing for families. It took money out of families, household shared incomes and put it into the tax budget. And that is not going away. What also I don't know that people understand is the Trump tax bill um, reform that went into place a couple of years ago had a seven-year expiration date. Most of the provisions of that law will expire unless they're carried forward, which doesn't look likely with the new administration coming in. But that particular provision was not made to be retroactive. So that will stay in place and unless something you know changes. And really, with more than 50% of our families dealing with uh, divorce, dealing with life post-divorce, there are many reasons why spousal support is appropriate and is something that should be made as easy for families during for a period of time as possible. And unfortunately, that tax change made it more difficult for parties. It's harder to negotiate alimony now than it was before the tax law changed. When is spousal support or alimony something that is appropriate, should actually be sought? There are several questions. And first thing I will say, the lawyer in me makes me say, it does depend on the state that you're in. Every state has a little bit different law about spousal support, maintenance, or alimony, whatever it's called in your state. But generally, it is a discretionary amount. And when I say discretionary, that means it's either something you and your spouse negotiate or that a judge is going to determine based upon certain criteria that the judge has to look at. And th- there are a number of things that are in the statutes. They, they are how much each of you are earning, what your past earning, capa- uh, earning history is, what your earning capacity now is, the age of the parties, the station of the parties, the education of the parties, the health of the parties, the age of the children, and in some cases, the need for there to be a more available parent for parenting. All of those things are going to come into play in some states. This will get people excited in some states that one of the factors is the fault for the breakdown of the marriage, where the court can look at who who was more at fault for breaking down the marriage. And I've done entire episodes on that. That's a much more complicated thing than people are thinking. But what I would say as a very practical look, like if you're sitting there right now, folks, and wondering if you're going to have to pay alimony or if you're going to be able to receive alimony, first thing you're going to look at, is there that disparity in your income? Is there a difference in how much you're earning? And 
then you're going to look at the question then becomes, well, if there is, what is the appropriate amount of alimony and for how long will it be paid? Those are the two questions that need to be answered. And those are left kind of wide open because for most states, they wanted to give the parties flexibility to negotiate something or for a judge to put an order in place that was going to work for that family. Now, a lot of that discretion has been taken away with the tax law change, but it's still how much is appropriate to be paid and how long should that go on? And those are additional questions that are discretionary to either be negotiated or de- determined by yeah. a judge. And they often, and they vary state to state. So in the, for example, in the state of California, it's basically you get alimony for 50% of the duration of the marriage. So I was married for five years. So I got it for two and a half years. We actually, because it would be a weird it was before the tax code. It was, was going to be weird tax uh, tax things. So we were like, it should either be two, more money for two years or less money for three years. So I got it for two years. That's it. You are over a certain age. If you haven't worked, if you've been a stay-at-home mom for 15 years and you're over 40, I think the 40 is the cutoff in California too. You're over 40 and, and then you might get it for life, <laughs> right? So that's a great point about California. And it was something that was new to me when I started practicing there. So I I should say there's a caveat. If you've been married for 10 years or less under California law, you get alimony or there it's called spousal support for half the years of the marriage. If you've been married for more than 10 years, there's no term that's set. It means basically it's open-ended. Now, don't get all excited because people go and think that means I get it for the rest of my life. You might, but that's not usual. You might, but that doesn't mean it's going to be the same amount for life. There's so many variables that come into it. And there are states that have formulas to determine how much alimony is going to be in California, using that as an example again. There's also two types of alimony. There's alimony that you you receive on a temporary basis during the divorce, if you're living in separate households usually. And then there's per, the permanent alimony, the alimony that comes in after the divorce is finalized. In California, there's a formula it's done on something called DisoMaster. It's a, it's a program that actually determines based upon your two incomes and your tax brackets and the number of children and all these different variables. I call it a plug and chug formula. It's really you insert all these numbers into a, a table and then it tells you how much that spousal support is going to be but that they don't have a formula for permanent spousal support or the amount you would receive for the two years in your example. That again, is either a negotiated number or a number that a judge would determine is appropriate based upon those statutory criteria. So they've really left issues of support open-ended. Now I do want to point out that's different for spousal support than for child support. So I don't want to confuse anyone who's listening. Child support in every single state is a plug and chug formula. Child support is totally based on how much money each of you are making, certain allowable deductions, go to a chart, and that chart's going to tell you how much money based on that much income you're going to get for that many children. And percentage of custody. That's part- Depends on the state you live in. And that's, <laughs> right. 
And that's where a lot of trouble, a lot of problems come in. (laughs) It's a horrible law. It's a horrible part of the law. It never, I, I understand the concept of it, but it is a horrible aspect of the child support guidelines in those states that have it. And I'm going to go on record and say it. I've said it to senators, Congress people, anybody who will listen to me. When you make the amount of time that parents have their children a part of the monetary equation, you get people fighting over time with their children because you've made it a commodity. You've made it equal to a dollar sign. And that is not, that should never be a part of the paradigm of what's best for your children. And it literally puts children square in the, in the middle of a legal battle. And it's, there's, there's a whole movie that, that people can watch about it called Divorce Corp. And it, it, for better or worse, they're interesting. I don't know. We should talk about that. We've never talked about that movie, have we? But it's a really, no, we should. you can see it. It's a great example of what can happen when taken to the extreme, that when children are put in the middle like that. Yeah. It's a horrible aspect. It, it just shouldn't be a part of the parenting plan no, at it all. It fosters parental alienation. It all sorts of horrible things. Maybe we'll talk about that on another episode, but so I'm, I, I'm always, there's women, some women, right. Or don't, I don't want any, I don't, I don't want his money. I don't want anything to do with him. I want out of the marriage, just get him gone. I don't care. I don't want the support. And I always say, and I posted on Instagram, which started this conversation. I always say, take the fucking support. Take the support because especially if you've been a stay-at-home mom, you actually need it. You have invested, um, and I'm ha- having this conversation with Daniel Harold in a cup in a little while. You've invested in the marriage. You have invested in the household. If you've been a stay-at-home parent, you have been in a sort of essentially an unpaid laborer, right, in your house, and you have been doing a lot of work. And the support is a very minimal return on that investment. And it's a minimal return. It is not a good return on the investment that you've made, but at least it is some return. It is a way of saying, you know what? I honor the work that you've done in the home. And I honor the fact that I wouldn't, for let's say a stay-at-home mom with a husband who works, he probably wouldn't be as far ahead in his career were it not for the fact that he had a wife at home taking care of everything else. The children wouldn't be being taken care of and all of that stuff. And so Spousal support really is a way to honor that and to help you get back up on your feet and create another, create a new, a new life. Really, you're starting from scratch. For men who have never stopped working and have had a, their life doesn't change. Was it that there was a statistic that came out, I don't know how many years ago that said that men's standard of living increases by 10% after divorce and women's decreases by 27%. And this is why. So I always say, take the fucking support because you probably need it to get back on your feet. Yeah. And that's, it's actually the term, if you were in a courtroom or if you were reading legal treatises on the issue of alimony or support is rehabilitative alimony, because that's really where it comes from. The, The concept of spousal support came about from the societal norm of stay-at-home mothers and breadwinner fathers. It goes back 
to that era. From the 50s. Yeah, the 50s, yeah. which I started practicing law in the 90s, but still 30 years ago, it was still very much the norm, I would say, that we had stay-at-home mothers who left the workplace when they had their first child. And then for whatever the term of the marriage was, whether it be seven years, 15 years, or 30 years, they did not go back into the workplace. So if they had a career at one time, they generally, that career was long gone and not something that was truly viable for them. Meanwhile, they had been the primary caretaker, the household caretaker, and the spouse had gone off. The husband in those cases usually had gone off and earned and moved up the corporate ladder and gotten promotions and earned retirement and put all these assets um, away. And when the laws were being put in place, when alimony was conceived of, it was a way to help that non non earning party rehabilitate themselves, their earning capacity and get back out there and work. Or it was, this person is never really going to go out and earn. And so they will get lifetime alimony. I mean, back, you're talking about the fifties in the fifties, women got alimony for the rest of their lives. Unless they remarried, the norm was you're going to get alimony. You're going to get a check from your ex-husband for the rest of your life. And we'll talk about that paradigm. But that has gone away. And that even when I started practicing 30 years ago, it became more about how long should support go on for this person, male or female, but generally female, to get back on their feet as an earner, to get to the point where they can self-earn. Now, if they had a career, say, in a field where they had been earning at this level and they wanted to get back into that. Usually it meant going back to school, getting recertified, getting more training, doing, starting a new career, all very daunting things. And so the alimony term was usually tied into something, getting them to the point. It was also almost always tied to when were the children going to be old enough for that caretaker parent to be able to be out of the household earning instead of being a caretaker. So often we were looking at alimony for a term that would get the youngest child through high school or at least to the age of 14 or 12 or whatever was acceptable for that child to come home after school to find no parent there because that parent was out working. It was all intended Yeah, But there was still, and very much today, there is a mindset in the court system as we have been moving more towards shared parenting time, that there's also moving away from a shared economic model, which is really what spousal support is. You're taking income that one spouse, former spouse is earning and sharing it with the other former spouse. And so the courts as they've moved more to this like shared parenting time where each parent has somewhat equal or enhanced parenting time for the breadwinner spouse or the father in our paradigm of the societal norm of 50 years ago. But so they're saying now dads have the kids half the time or more of the time. Moms don't need to be available after school because the kids are with dad. So mom can go earn more. So Alimony is becoming a more difficult thing to get 
in amount and in duration as the world changes. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and I will say that as someone who received it, thinking two years, oh, it'll be totally fine. I'll, I'll have my shit together. I'll get land on my feet. I'll have, get a new career. Cause I knew that I didn't want to go back to my old career as an actor. Cause that wasn't a, he just wasn't an option anymore as a mom, right? As a divorced mom, I wasn't going to be like trucking my kid all over town to auditions. It didn't make sense. And I was also done with it. So I had to start again from scratch. And let me tell you, two years, and here's where this, here's where I get on my feminist soapbox. Two years is enough time to get a job. It is probably not enough time to, it's, it may be enough time to start a career, probably not enough time to get yourself elevated in that career to the point that you would have been had you not stayed home. Had you started it maybe 10 years before, you're not going to just like leapfrog over that. So you're still going to be more economically disadvantaged at the end of two years. It is two years is not enough to build a business. This is why we have this, this is part of the reason, this is part of what has impacted the wage and income gap for women. Because we make this choice to be a stay-at-home mom, which I think is a noble choice. It is a fine choice, but we have got to understand the economic impact on the other side of it. If we ever go back into the workplace, even if we stay married, but certainly if we get divorced, because two years of spousal support, let me tell you, it took me 10 years to build my business. And if I didn't have the support, if I didn't have certainly the child support, like that cushion of the support, I would not have been able, I would have had to have gotten a job. I would have probably have been working. I don't know what I would have done, but I would have gotten a job and I would not have been able to build a business that I fucking love and passionate about. Rant over. (laughs) But I love, love, love that you said it because that is another issue that women, especially, but any stay-at-home spouse, and we do see a lot more dads who are the stay-at-home spouses in same-sex marriages. We obviously see if it's two men together, we're seeing a stay-at-home dad there. We're seeing a lot more, and almost all, st- I think all statutes are gender neutral yeah. for support. So it doesn't matter whether you're a man or a woman. If you are the yeah. spouse who's earning less, that's where, it, yeah. But that's one of the things that people need to understand when they go into the divorce paradigm is the state law on support for whatever state they happen to be in, which is the crapshoot of where you live, you got two years because that's what California determined under its laws was appropriate in half the years of the marriage. There was never that analysis that we would do in a state like Connecticut, where I've practiced, where it's a negotiated term based upon a rehabilitative concept of how long will it take someone to get back out there in the working world? What is the custodial situation look like? And will this person even have that opportunity? It is a reality that unfortunately, we're not talking about spousal support from this perspective of it's going to be there to help you get back on your feet. Yes, it's going to be there and it's income coming in for a period of time. But unless, but you, if you have put yourself in that situation where you have become, unfortunately, a stay-at-home parent, I don't mean unfortunately a stay-at-home parent. Unfortunately, you're in a situation now where you are playing catch up. Right. And the law does not necessarily support your being made whole financially, even when you do get spousal support. Yeah. And that's in, 
in California or in any other state. And it's really hard. I will say that it's really hard. Like even if, if in Connecticut, if someone were to say to me like three years sound, I'd be like, Fuck, of course it, of course. Cause I thought I would be remarried by then. I thought I would have all the things that you think you don't know actually how long these things are going to take. And, and so I would hope that you would, that in situations like that, where you're really negotiating, yeah. you would have somebody who was actually a little bit more of a realist about this sort of in your ear saying, hold on, because here's what I've seen. But I think it's important for people to know that. Yeah, where they have, well, and it goes beyond just the term, because it also something to be thinking about is the amount that you're going to receive. And as you, uh, you talked about in your example, which I think is great, is, well, two and a half years was what was called for. So we decided we'll either go for more support for two years or a lesser amount for three. That's another consideration that will often come into a negotiated alimony. Is it going to be a certain amount for the entire term? Or maybe if what your plan is to go back to school or you have very young children and someone's going to go back to work, but there will need to be a caregiver because of the fact that the children are young, maybe you want more support up front and then you'll tighter it down. Um, you'll have step downs as time goes on. So you can stretch it out longer. So you at least have additional funds coming yeah, in. That I would have loved that, but they, <laughs> that wasn't an option for me. But what I did was I took the higher amount for the lesser, for this less amount of time. And then I squirreled away a big portion of it every month so that I actually stretched it out till four years. It's <laughs> more and more thin, but I did so that I could, yeah, so I could have it for longer. But that's actually so smart of you. And unfortunately, not something most people do. Most people, just as we all do, if you want to go look at your checkbook, everyone, or your bank statements, most of us have a certain amount of money coming in and the amount of money going out is either equal to it or a little bit more. And when you have support coming in for a finite period of time and you are living a lifestyle that maxes that out, when that support stops, your lifestyle will stop unless you have something that replaces that income. And let me just tell you, that can happen like literally on a dime because it's like one, one month you're getting it and one month you're not. And I had, I did have that happen where I was like, oh wait, oh fuck, it's all done. <laughs> it's gone. <laughs> and that was not cute. No, it, and it, it just stops, right? There is no, unless you've negotiated it, it doesn't tighter down or it's not like a, it's a cliff. And no one says, did you start, did you find a way to replace this income? So it, it's a problem. And here it, it goes deeper than that because especially for moms, I, I've found it gets tied into the house issue. And so many mothers or parents will fight over keeping the house that the children are used to, that they've grown up in, that was the house that they supported on the two incomes or together as a united couple. Now mom keeps it. Yes, she's getting support coming in. But if she's spending every cent of that support to maintain that household because it's expensive, 
then she finds herself in a place at the end of that where she can't continue. It's an illiquid asset. And so suddenly the children are probably going to get uprooted at the end of the alimony term because she can't continue to pay it. And unless the market has gone up, you can put yourself in a precarious position when your main asset is that house and California, you probably don't have that issue as much. They see the prices there seem to go up through the roof every single year. Yes. But other places in the United States, it can be a big issue. Your house could be at a high when you get divorced. And five years later, when your alimony ends, you could be in a, a slump, a market slump. Yep. Absolutely. And this is Christina Lynn says like the biggest financial mistake people make in divorce is women, especially stay at home moms fighting to keep the house. It's the biggest financial mistake people make. Susan and I are going to continue this conversation on the divorce and beyond podcast. This is a two parter. It is a crossover episode and we're going to continue this conversation and we're going to get into, we've talked a lot about why women should take support we're going to talk on Susan's podcast about some of the pitfalls and why it may not be the best idea for everybody and how to look at it from a, like a little bit more of a discerning perspective. Yeah. A little more layered conversation about this. So everybody understands all the permutations, right? So come on over to Divorce and Beyond. We'll see you over there. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Divorce Survival Guide podcast. If you like what you hear, head on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen in and leave me a review. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram at The Divorce Survival Guide. I'll see you next time. And until then, remember, you, my love, deserve to be happy.